Stories, fables, ghostly tales. What do stories of immortality, demonic carnivals, mysterious entities, insanity, and skinwalkers have in common today? They are all listener stories. That's right. My talented listeners have sent some stories in that I can't wait to read. Here is our story list for today, in order of narration. Leading the charge is Timeless by Tom Keithley, The Dark Carnival by Joy McLaurin, The Moonlight Man, The Nazi Yelling Experiment, The Russian Sleep Experiment by Patrick McNamara, and The Kradacha, spelt K-R-A-D-A-T-Y-E but pronounced Kradacha a true Australian Aboriginal skinwalker story by Illogical Musings. Now today, I have a different tea, maple tea from the maple tree in Canada. So smooth. Goodness, I love Canadian tea. So grab yourself your own hot beverage, turn off the lights, and let me share some listener stories with you, lovely listeners. <laughs> Immortality. Sure, it sounds like a good idea at the time. To be in the prime of your life, forever. Beyond the reach of time and death. To be free to drink and whore your way through the world, completely free from all the risks that come with such behavior. Yes, it all sounds good when you're a poor peasant lad, living in a hovel on some piece of dirt in the Irish countryside. One day you encounter a being like nothing you've ever seen. She is injured, and you, being the polite and caring lad you had been raised to be, offer what help you can. The maiden, in turn, grants you eternal life. That's what every mortal wants, right? To live forever. Well, whatever. Who is going to say no? to such a boon. And this is where your new life begins. Why even return to that hovel? No. You belong where things are happening. The city. The capital. That's where you begin a lifestyle of decadence and hedonism that you could never have imagined. Life becomes a blur, a haze of taverns, Lovers, and all manner of decadent pleasures you never dared dream of. But time flows too slowly, and you grow weary of the same faces and places. You've amassed a small fortune by now, so you spend a few centuries traveling, leaving a place as soon as you grow bored. The longer you live, the quicker time goes. 300 years, 500 years, a thousand. You watch as the world changes around you. Sure, you could probably be a very great ruler, what being immortal and all, but deep down, you know that it's far too much responsibility and you care far too little to take up such a burden. You watch as everything around you slowly begins to wither away. 
The humans begin to die off as a species, as resources and climate change make inhabitable places scanter and ever-diminishing. Soon, you're alone, on a lifeless rock, and for millennia all you can do is watch as one by one, the stars above flicker out. Then, one day, the very sun overhead expands and consumes this lifeless rock and you along with it. However, you survive, finally after drifting for who knows how long. You find yourself on a large asteroid, most likely a leftover from Earth's cadaver. From here, you continue watching as each star slowly winks out, stuck in a lifeless void, unable to even die, completely alone. Then the last star blinks out, and there is only you and the void for eternity. What a gift. The Dark Carnival She stared through the broken slat in the blinds, trying to be motionless, silent. The carnival was coming and it filled her soul with icy dread. She watched the clowns cavort and dance by first. Occasionally one would turn a cartwheel. There were rips in their clothes. But what of that? These days most clown costumes were hobo-like. Their smiles appeared to have been painted on with blood. Mr. Johnson, an elderly man who lived down the street, emerged from his house and moved close to the street. His face was bright, as if remembering carnivals from his youth. Her throat ached with the desire to scream at him, to run and hide. But something else inside her needed her to remain unnoticed. She watched a cluster of clowns point towards him, one giving the thumbs up. Another clown backflipped toward Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson laughed and clapped his hands, enjoying the show. She gasped <gasps> as the clown embraced Mr. Johnson. When the clown walked away, Mr. Johnson fell to the ground and didn't move again. Next came the animals. Although these were not in cages, the dirty trainers held whips and shotguns, but the lions and tigers roamed freely, sniffing each bush and roaring their dominance over the neighborhood. She watched as a huge black bear rode a unicycle down the middle of the street. The tigers had reached Mr. Johnson and had begun to feast. The elephants appeared, with scantily clad women on their backs. There was something wrong with their faces. When one turned in her direction, her eyes widened. The women appeared to be broken porcelain dolls. Her mind recoiled in horror, but her eyes refused to turn away. Next was the band, with a calipi riding on a trailer. The hungry grins of the musicians turned her stomach. The jugglers behind them had the same emaciated, starved look. Then there were the freaks. She knew this wasn't normal. Freak shows went out of fashion decades ago. But there were still little people 
skipping circles around conjoined twins and a large bearded person in a dress riding in a cart. There were obvious contortionists moving down the street, contorting their body easily and grotesquely as they moved. Finally, was the fire breather. As he reached Mr. Johnson's remains, he breathed out, removing any evidence that Mr. Johnson had attended the parade. She sat for what felt like hours, staring out the window, reliving the horrors in her mind. She noted that Mr. Johnson had been the only real person she had seen all day, and the parade had started well after lunch. She emerged from her home and edged up the street, her head constantly whipping back and forth, afraid a nightmare would step from behind a tree any second. There was no trace of Mr. Johnson, and no scorch mark indicating where he had been obliterated from the face of the earth. Miss Haskins, a nearby voice called. She yelped and whirled around. She had let her guard down and hoped that it wouldn't mean her death. She wasn't ready for that. It was Ellie Johnson, elderly Mr. Johnson's daughter. She smiled in recognition and relief. I didn't mean to startle you, Ellie continued. I assumed you saw the ambulance earlier and were coming by to check on Dad. I appreciate it, but Dad's gone. He passed away just a few hours ago. And this concludes The Dark Carnival. The Moonlight Man Dennis hesitated at the door to Peter's apartment. He thought back to the frantic phone call he got just a few hours prior. Peter is normally a calm, rational man. What has gotten to him that bad? Dennis wasn't sure he wanted to know, yet he had to. Such is the duty of a best friend. Dennis proceeded inside. Peter was waiting wide-eyed and very shaken in the kitchen. Jesus, man. You alright? I couldn't make out your phone call, Dennis said. Peter responded, It's not like this is rational. None of this makes any sense, man. Dennis looked to Peter to go on. He did. He's at my window every night. It's been three days, man. I can't sleep with him watching me. Dennis asked, What are you talking about? Who is watching you? Peter shook his head in disbelief. The Moonlight Man. That's what I call him. I'm scared, man. I don't know who or what this is. Dennis became worried. Has Peter gone insane? Peter acknowledged Dennis's concern. It started about a few days ago. I started receiving voicemails from a number I didn't know. Whomever was calling me spoke in tongue. I did not understand a word they said. The next day, it escalated. No warning, around 2am... It appeared at my bedroom window, staring in at me. Dennis interrupted. What was looking in at you, Peter? Peter took in a deep inhale and then exhaled. <sighs> Peter continued. It was heavily muscled. It had red eyes with irises of dark black with specks of yellow. It was nude. It had long, disgusting fingernails. It just peered in and watched me with a creepy smile, its teeth are yellow and jagged. 
Dennis, I think I'm going to die soon. Its looks seem more menacing each night. I just wanted to say goodbye. After telling Dennis that tale, he sent him away, reluctantly, and he left. Dennis called the authorities to possibly take Peter to a psych hospital. Dennis was called back only two hours later. Peter was missing. The officers suspected foul play. In Peter's bedroom, they discovered that his bed was completely soaked with blood. His window was shattered and neighbors claimed they heard a commotion with Peter and someone. It sounded violent. Dennis had no idea what to do or say. After he got off the phone with the police, he received a phone call from a phone number which read like hieroglyphics. Reluctantly, he answered. To his horror, the voice on the other end was speaking to him in tongues. The Nazi Yelling Experiments Towards the end of the Nazi reign of terror over Germany, several horrible human experiments were conducted, many with sickening and horrifying results. One experiment, however, was only active for less than one week. The results were sickening. Nazi scientists wanted to see the mental effects of constant loud noises with breaks in between and recovery allowed shortly thereafter for the test subjects. Day one began with 12 hours of distorted screaming and afterwards an eight hour rest and medical attention. The Nazi scientists felt severe unease as a result of the distorted screaming. And the test subjects behaved in an unsettling way. They acted much more relaxed and way more happy. The experiment commenced on day two. Twelve hours of distorted screaming, blaring. Eight hours of recovery and medical attention. The second night, three scientists hung themselves. No notes. The remaining scientists felt constant paranoia. The experiment was held over a few days. The test subjects remained disturbingly upbeat. Some even began singing as if they were children on the schoolyard. The experiment commenced. This time, however, the distorted screaming gradually became demonic. The scientists couldn't take it. They had to leave. The reactions of the subjects, they became almost as if they were no longer present inside their own bodies, even after the experiment was shut down. Several high-ranking Nazi officers found it unsettling how the subjects just were alive and awake, as if in a waking coma. Then, it happened. One subject attacked and devoured an armed Nazi officer with frightening speed. Then another subject followed, then the other remaining subjects no shots were fired. The subjects escaped and weren't found. The scientists involved were executed. The tape featuring the distorted screaming was taken. No trace of it has ever surfaced. Not long after the Nazi regime was defeated and shut down. Nobody knows the aftermath. So many unanswered and disturbing questions. Mainly, who pushed 
for this experiment to take place? Where did the tapes use originate? What did it do to those subjects? Was that the desired outcome? What happened to the feral test subjects once they escaped? Russian Sleep Experiment 3 The detective was losing his patience. This suspect, this doctor, was pure evil. Detective Brett Myers held the bridge of his nose out of exasperation, and he sighed. <sighs> Dr. Wright, do you know your rights? Were you advised of them? Dr. Wright smirked and replied, Yes, at this moment I don't want a lawyer. I don't believe I did anything wrong, Detective. Detective Myers stood up now clearly very angry. Actually, he was enraged. Really, you sick son of a bitch. Two children are dead because of what you did to them. Dr. Wright laughed and responded coldly, <laughs> Your men killed those children. I had nothing to do with that. Detective Myers got right up in Dr. Wright's face. What you did to them. What they became. We had to do it. Now, you are going to tell me everything. Who are you? Where did you come from? How did you abduct those little boys? And most importantly, what were you doing with them? Dr. Wright shockingly told Detective Myers his story. And this is how it went. He was born Damien Kritsky on April 22nd, 1960. He was born in a low-income Russian city. Damien kept to himself. When he was 15, he began taking a non-sexual interest in children. He began his interest in medicine soon after and went on to and graduated from medical school. Dr. Kritsky was a phenomenal pediatric doctor. Then there was the incident that occurred on July 15th, 1989. Seven-year-old Yuri Gumilov. He came in with sleep issues. Dr. Kritsky wrote the boy a prescription. The pharmacist asked the mother why her young boy needed methamphetamine. Then, a pattern was discovered by Soviet police. Apparently, whenever young children came to Dr. Krinsky with sleep issues, he prescribed them methamphetamine. What was more disturbing was his medical notes and his personal journal. In it detailed his theories on children staying awake. He would monitor their progress. Of course, after this was uncovered, he vanished. On December 11th, 1989, Dr. Maxwell Wright suddenly opened up a practice in Sacramento, California. Dr. Wright became very successful. On March 12th, 2018, Dr. Wright lured and abducted two nine-year-old boys while they were walking home from school. Using meth he obtained on the streets, he manufactured it into a gaseous mixture. He kept the two boys in a room, in which the vapors would be released and force both boys to remain awake. What follows are excerpts from his observational journal. Day 3. The children have been awake 72 hours. The gas is sporadically sprayed into the room. Both boys have begun acting erratically. Almost animalistic. Day 9. The boys are feral at this point. They have begun turning on each other. The bigger one of the two was viciously attacked by the other. 
he was ripped apart by the other's teeth and continued on. The entries got up to day 16. On that day, Dr. Wright was arrested. The boys were almost zombified, quite literally, and had to be put down. After discovering this, we took Dr. Wright away and put him in his cell. Dr. Wright committed suicide in his cell after he confessed to all this. The Kredacha I'm Aboriginal. We have our own name for them where I am, which is the Central Australian Desert. We call them the Kredacha. Skinwalkers in the Native American folklore are eerily similar to Aboriginal folklore. My great nan used to tell me stories. One was when she'd gone picking berries and looking for witchetty grubs, honey ants and bush bananas with her sisters back when she was younger. One had followed them to where they were camping. During the evening as the sun was going down, they'd heard something crying. It sounded near. But when it comes to the Kredacha, when hearing sounds, it has the opposite effect. If it was near, it would sound far away, but if it were far away, it was definitely right there. They, Great Nan and her sister, stayed where they were and acted as if they were asleep, alert but paying no attention to it. The dogs they took with them were barking but didn't move. It was on the outskirts of their camp, just out of the light of the fire, crying. It was there. By the faraway cries it was near, and was trying to lure them away from the light. She had told her sister to not look at it or try to speak to it, it sounded like a child crying. She said it didn't move away until the sun had started coming up. Guess it got bored. As soon as the sun was up, they made it home as fast as they could. This story always stuck with me. In my culture, whistling at night can draw them and talking about them by word of mouth. Thankfully, I've never seen one, but I do believe they're out there. I've always known the Kredacha as an evil spirit, it could very well differ between tribes, even tribes so close together. It could even be derived from the Kodachi or Kudachaman. But looking back on the stories told to me, the latter is also described as the Featherfoot Man. From the stories told to me growing up as well, they can make you sick or crazy. I've heard of kids going missing out bush when staying out too long. Could just be from natural occurrences, but we're a superstitious people. They can supposedly make you see things that aren't there. For example, you walking, thinking it's a normal path, then you walk straight off a cliff to your death. Paying attention to them gives them that power, and fear strengthens them. If you ever see one, ignore. Don't pay attention to them, don't speak to them, and don't go looking for them. Don't be the hero that goes looking for one. They're not fun. Wow, just brilliant. My listeners are the best. I loved every one of these stories, and it goes to show how creative you all are, and especially lucky for the true account of the Skinwalker. And I do have one question regarding Skinwalkers, actually. How do you keep Skinwalkers away? I have heard of different ideas around this. The one that sticks out the most to me is never spitting out in the wild and never leave your shoes outside. 
both these things are things that skinwalkers can use to curse you or kill you or find you with black magic. But I don't know anything that would keep them away. So what I'm looking for, if any of you out there know maybe an ingredient or a ritual that you can do to keep a skinwalker away, I'd love to know. I'll do my own research, of course, but if any of you out there know, please feel free to contact me. Now, if you have your own story to send my way, a recommendation, or even saying hi, don't be shy. Feel free to contact me on storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Lovely listeners are reaching out to me lately, specifically around mythology and lore, which is brilliant. One of my lovely listeners by the name of Alan Lordich suggested the first Hindi legend, Rama, and another story, The Golem of Prague, and Rabbi Judah, Lo, which are going on my shortlist. So if you want to hear stories up here on the podcast, or just share a story with all your other listeners out here to listen to, feel free to email me, of course, or you can reach me via Facebook. Search Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales on Facebook, join or like the page, and feel free to message me directly, and I promise you, I'll respond. I love hearing from listeners, and especially love it when you lovely people get involved. Okay, this Friday, I'm going to do a delectable creepypasta, maybe a ritual, so I can't wait to see you then. But as always, till next time.